0: I go, imagine I actually get
2: fucking papped smoking on a crate in an alley with no pants on, no shoes on. And I look like a swamp dumpster rat monster. And yeah, I was, I was photographed and they made this article and people wrote shit and I read it. And that was just like, it spiraled into a week of self-loathing.
1: Hello and welcome to this In Conversation episode of Shameless with the vibrant Martha Califatitas. How does one introduce Martha Calipatitas? Well, lucky for me, many of you are likely familiar with the makeup artist and reality star after she appeared in one of the country's most watched seasons of Married at First Sight. Yes, she may well be known for a certain wine-throwing incident, but she also left the show with a huge and fiercely loyal group of fans who fell in love with how confident, unapologetic, and yes, if I may use a buzzword to round this list out, authentic she really is. Oh, and they fell in love with her love story too after Martha and her married at first sight husband Michael defied the reality TV odds and are still together more than two years after the show aired. In this chat we talk about everything from why she decided to even go on the show, the dark days she spent in bed when trolling got too much and how Michael changed her life completely. Martha is hilarious and warm and we cannot wait
0: for you to hear this chat so here she is. Martha, welcome to Shameless in Conversation. I am fucking excited for this chat. I can't wait to sit with you for 45 minutes. I mean, we're all in different rooms right now, but Very, very excited that you are on the show. Uh,
2: Hi, girls. Hi, shameless listeners. I didn't realize we were fucking swearing, but I'm into it (laughs) and I feel so much better already.
1: (laughs) It is something that we forget to tell people before we record and then halfway through an interview, we will swear and someone will be like, oh my God, was I allowed to do that that entire time? I was censoring myself. Oh, don't worry. I don't censor myself. <laughs> I think that's why I was so excited. Martha, we start every interview in exactly the same spot. We want to know what were you like as a kid? My mum used to call me the ringleader
2: of a kid. So if shit went down, she would come to me and say, you are the ringleader, Martha. What have you done? I don't know. Does that sum it up? What I was like
0: else? <laughs> <laughs> so were you like the queen bee, I guess, then of a group that you were kind of the figurehead who called the shots? It really depends. When I was with
2: my family, like my cousins and stuff, I was. But at school, it was very different for me because when I started school, I couldn't speak English and I was this outcast. I grew up in aubrey Wadonga, So I was literally the only Greek girl in maybe the entire town. And I just had no friends at school. I was a complete loner. Like I had no friends. And my mum would always have to do these activities during lunchtime to try and help me to make friends and socialise because I was an outcast. And at school, I was just invisible, I guess. I don't know. I wasn't the same at school, but at home, it was completely different. I kind of had like two different lives as a kid. At school, I was really quiet and didn't really speak, had no friends. And then at home with the family and stuff, I was this crazy instigator, ringleader. Funny, because I'm the same now as an adult.
1: <laughs> Mother, did it bother you as a kid being that kind of outcast? Or did you have so much love and security at home that you just kind of looked forward to getting home every day?
2: It didn't really bother me because I always had my mum in the back of my head or she'd always be in my ear saying, who cares, man? Who are they? They're losers, those kids. Don't worry about them. So I always have grown up thinking, oh, who really cares? Like they're losers. I don't really care what they think. Mind you, they weren't. They were the cool kids. (laughs) Like when you're at school, there's obviously the cool group and then there are the not so cool group. And I was the not so cool group. But she used to say, oh, who cares, man? After school, you're never going to see him again. (laughs) When you say that to a kid, it's like, but school is forever. By the time I leave school, I'm going to be married with kids, aren't I? Like. um So I always had that mentality that doesn't really matter and there's more important things. Mm.
0: When did the loneliness subside? I mean, I don't know if that's an accurate statement, but based on what you've just said, it does sound like. Oh, no, it was my entire school life
2: until I turned about 16 because after I lived in Aubrey, Wodonga, we moved to Rhode Island in the US and I went to school there where I was the new girl again. And it was really hard going to school and trying to make friends, especially when you're at that age, you know, you're going through puberty, everything's changing, and you also have to learn how to dress your new body and go to school and make friends and be cool and say the right thing and wear the right thing. So school was really hard for me. I guess I really just had a thick skin by then already. And as soon as I would go home, I just feel like a different person and at school, I always looked forward to going home because school was so hard. I felt like I always was posing and trying to be someone else.
1: Talk to us about your mum. I mean, I love that story that you just told about you getting home and her being like, fuck these kids or maybe not in that wording, but essentially that sentiment to me, just on first impressions, it seems like you got a lot of that sort of unapologetic kind of no bullshit thing from your mother. Would that be fair to say?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think growing up, she never let us feel like we don't fit in or we're not cool enough. She
0: never let us feel like that. So what did you want to do with your life at this stage? Say you're 16, you're probably the average awkward teenager like we all were. What were you thinking when it came to your future? Were you the kind of young person who thought, I want to settle down really young? Were you thinking, I want to go study? Or were you thinking, I really just want to dive into work and start earning money?
2: Fuck, we are unpacking some serious things here. But (laughs) no, I never was the type of person. I was never the young girl that was like, oh, I want to be a bride and I want to wear a white dress and I want to have a family. That was never me. I couldn't sit still as a kid. I still can't. I always wanted to be doing stuff and traveling and going places. I was a child, but yet I would somehow convince my parents to take us on all these trips And like, it was just one little idea that I would have and I would make it into a reality. Like I would break balls so hard until we would eventually go to Florida and go to like Washington DC. And I would just annoy the shit out of my parents until we'd make it happen. But I always wanted to travel. I loved traveling, but I was really artistic and creative as a kid. I always wanted to do art sort of things. I was always drawing and coloring and I was obsessed with that sort of stuff. I had... No interest whatsoever in maths and sciencey things. Well,
1: science was a bit interesting, but I really just liked to be creative and read. Talk to us about reality TV then. With all of this in mind, when you kind of got to the point and the opportunity was there, why reality TV and why Married at First Sight specifically? I never actually applied
2: for Married at First Sight. I was sort of just working and I was approached by these two ladies and they sort of just were really casual in their approach. And then when they did say it is for Married at First Sight, I was kind of like, no, no, I'm not. I would never do Married at First Sight. I was like, there is no way on God's green earth I will ever do this show. Like, no. They wanted my number. They wanted to take a photo. And I just said, no, no, no. And then one of my friends who was working with me at the time, he gave them my number and they got my number. And then from there, we just talked and I got old rubber arm and it went from there. And then when I thought about it, when I really thought about it at home alone in my bed at night alone, I thought, well, why wouldn't I fucking do it? Like, what am I doing that is so cool and so great now? What am I actually really doing? I'm not really doing anything like my life, I can put it on hold. And if I come back to it in four months, it will probably be the same. And I just thought it would be a fun opportunity. Like my world was tiny. And I just thought this would be a really cool way of making it a little bit bigger.
0: Can you tell us, I mean, it's such a sugary question, but the day of your married at first sight wedding, what goes through your mind in that moment? And I also want to ask, like, do you get to pick out any of the details, like the dress you wore? Do you get to actually pick that or is it a lot of influence from the production team? You do pick
2: the dress, but the production team have to
0: approve it. So if I wanted
2: to say wear just like a white slip dress, they'd be like, no, I was such a nightmare because they wouldn't approve anything I wanted to wear. It was such a nightmare, but. The dress, you are allowed to pick it, but you only get a budget of $2,000. So imagine what you can find with that. But no, we picked it and you have no say in anything. You're allowed to suggest some options. And I said, I want an outdoor wedding, just like really clean and like maybe green and only white flowers. I want it all outdoor and just like really in nature. And then on the day it was at the Princess Theatre in Melbourne and it literally looked like <laughs> I couldn't know. You have no idea. I was like, what is this? I was having a tantrum to my mum. I'm like, I'm going to look like a fucking Wogosaurus, and these <laughs> colours these colored flowers what are they I'm not carrying them like when we got to the theater there's a runner so on set there's always runners who run around and do like the little bits and pieces that make the show happen and I could see one of the runners because they're always dressed in black holding a bouquet of flowers and they were really colorful because I had requested white flowers and I said to my parents because it was Mum, dad me and my producer in the limo and I'm like they're my fucking flowers My mum goes, no, no, relax, they're not. I go, they are for fucking me, I bet you. And then they opened the limousine door and gave me the flowers. And I had a tantrum. I was ripping the flowers out (laughs) of the bouquet and throwing them out the window and there was wire in the bouquet. Like my hands were bleeding because I was ripping them out. I'm like, I don't want these fucking colourful flowers. This is going to look so bad. I'm not doing this. (laughs) (laughs) Then we get to the Princess Theatre, which actually looks like It looks like you're on the set of Beauty and the Beast. It looks like a cartoon. It's so bad and so old. And I was just like, what? I was just not happy about any of it. (laughs) And yeah, so that's what happened on the day of the wedding. At home and going into it, I was fine. I was like, you know, like those weird psycho girls that like, you just like, why isn't she nervous? Why isn't she like fretting? Or why is she so calm and happy? I was that person on the day of the wedding at home, driving in, in the limo, getting to the venue with my parents. My dad's like, mate, are you nervous or anything like that? I'm like, no, I'm actually really excited. He's going to meet, well, I'm fucking nervous. So I don't know how you're excited because I'm shitting bricks. My mom's <laughs> going, yeah, you're doing really well. It's strange. I'm like, what, what would I be nervous about? It's exciting. I'm going to meet mm-hmm. the guy today. He's the day that we've all been waiting for. My mum's doing worst possible scenarios. She's like, what if you get there and he's bigger than your father and he's got no neck and he's <laughs> got like blackheads on his chin and he's got twisties stuck in his teeth. Oh, like, my gosh. Plaque so yellow. It's, I'm like, oh, mum, no, it's not. I'm like, no, no, it won't be like that. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. I'm like, if he is like that, well, then I'll run because dental hygiene was high on my priorities when I was looking for a husband. <laughs>
1: With any reality show, there is obviously a fair amount of smoke and mirrors in the filming. I mean, we hear it season after season, year after year with almost every reality show in existence. What surprised you the most about the filming process? The most
2: surprising thing is it doesn't feel like reality to us because the camera is there for a lot of the day, but it's not there the whole day. So when we're filming a wake-up scene, I say that quotation- It's not really us waking up. Sometimes it could be at like 3 p.m. in the afternoon. We've already gone to the gym, had our breakfast, and now we're pretending that we're waking up.
0: Do you know what I mean? Are you serious? Do they actually do it? So they actually would come in and be like, all right, guys, it's 4.30, but you have to get back in your PJs. No, they'd be like, our producer
2: would call and be like, where are you? We'd be like, oh, we've just ducked out to have, you know, to get some groceries or something. Come back because we need to film a wake-up scene for you too. And so we'd have to come back from whatever we were doing and film like a pretend where or sometimes it's a going to bed scene or something. But the dinner parties and all that, that is in real life, real time and all that sort of thing. I think that was the most shocking part to me because when we would wake up in reality and filming our breakfast, like that's when the real shit goes down. I mean, the thing with TV is there is a lot of magic goes into it and There are things like budget and production, like sometimes there's only three or four crews and a crew is like a videographer, audio producer. So sometimes there's not as many and there's like 12 couples. So sometimes they need to film the 12 couples waking up and they've only got three crews. So one crew might go in and do a real wake up scene with one couple, but the other couples might have to do them later on in the day. So that was that was for me what I found really weird because essentially you are you're acting you're acting like it's morning when it's not.
0: Did you hate that? Was part of you like I can't
2: believably wake up right now. We hated that. It was I mean I was okay because I sort of don't really care when there's a camera on me. I don't change. I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable in a room of strangers. Like I'm comfortable in a room full of grown men my dad's age pointing a camera at me. I'm fine with it. It's okay. Because, I mean, I've got really thick skin. I don't really care what they think, you know. But Michael, on the other hand, was horrible. He (laughs) was literally, as soon as the cameras would turn on, he would turn into a different person. This nerdy... Uptight, not funny, not cool, not cute guy. And then as soon as the cameras would turn off, he would go back to being like this hilarious, cool, funny guy that I was like falling in love with. And then the yes. cameras would turn on and he would freeze up again. And I, it ended up becoming like an issue for us, but he struggled with it and he
0: hated it. I was okay with it for some weird reason. Mm. Talk to us about meeting Michael. You've openly said before that without the show you wouldn't have met him. You probably wouldn't have dated him like on immediate kind of on paper stuff.
2: Yeah, because I was a fucking idiot. Like he (laughs) is literally a prince. He is literally an (laughs) angel and I wouldn't go for him because I was a moron and I would go for fuckboys that would literally just wanted to like use and abuse me.
0: You must be relieved then that the show connects you both, like super grateful that for all the drama and all the crap that comes with some aspects of reality TV that you met the person that you've now been with for over two years.
2: Absolutely. I feel like I always say Michael and I meeting was like fate and I know it is so cheesy because I hate saying cheesy shit like that, but
1: I really think it is. Otherwise, it doesn't really make sense. Lots of married at first couples split. I mean, we've seen that <laughs> a lot. And I want to know why you think your relationship has lasted and why your relationship might be different to your fellow contestants. Like, what is it about you two that has kept you so strong?
2: I just feel like we're meant to be together. I think we're going to meet no matter what. Michael actually in Melbourne lives five minutes away from my parents' house. I just feel like no matter what happened in this lifetime, we were going to meet and be together. But I think also when we did meet on the show, like when I saw him for the first time, I was like, oh my God, it's a child it's a schoolboy. I was not attracted, not that I wasn't attracted to him because he wasn't ugly, but he wasn't like the type of guy that I would be like, oh my God, put my heart into a meat grinder. Like, you know, he was not that person for me. But the first night we went home together after the wedding, it just felt so comfortable and like weirdly okay. If that was like a Tinder date or a guy that you met and you've gone home with, there's that awkwardness, you know, where it's just like, oh my God, I'm in a shower now. And then I'm going to have no makeup in front of him. And then I'm going to, what am I going to wear? Like, you know, there's all those sort of steps that you go through, but with him, it was so different. It was just, it felt so comfortable. And like, we just felt like we had already known each other. We felt like friends. So it was always that there that we kind of felt really comfortable around each other. But then also I feel like Going into it, I said, I'm gonna go into this and I'm gonna be super open-minded. Otherwise I'm wasting my time and I'm wasting everyone else's time. And so I think I just sort of like thought, hey, he's a nice guy. We get along so far, this could work. And we peeled back the layers because on the outside, he's really shy and quiet. I'm really out there. And so we spent the first few weeks getting to know each other and just
1: becoming friends. Coming up after the break, the dark side of reality TV. But first, a word from today's sponsor...
0: It's such an interesting one because with all reality TV shows, you do the filming and then there's a bit of a gap and then the show starts airing. You two would have known like, this is going to be good. We actually do fall in love. We're still together. But I'm guessing there would have been a bit of anxiety as well, knowing that even though you and Michael were rock solid, you did have confrontation with other contestants on the show and that was going to be up for like public debate and public discussion Did anxiety set in, in that gap between filming the show and it airing? Like, did you think or overthink about stuff that had gone down? No, not in that gap. In that gap, we
2: just completely forgot we even did maths. We completely forgot about it. We were like in our own world, living our best lives. It wasn't until after, it wasn't until the show aired when shit got really, really serious and trolling and the media and the press and the articles and then all that stuff sort of that really kicked in and I was for lack of a better word I was fucked like absolutely not myself for the first time in my life I was what 31 I was depressed I was unhappy I'd never felt depression before I'd never had anxieties or anything like that I was literally the happiest chillest girl just living her best life and I never felt any of those things until all that started to go down and it was just a really ugly time for me I was not a nice person I was not nice to be around I mean there were some days I literally didn't leave my room I didn't brush my teeth
1: I wouldn't even get up to go and pee I just felt shit you did recently write about this on Instagram. You wrote, the maths contestants have gone through some dark days. I know I'm not alone. Cyrell, Ines, Jess, Lizzie, we were all trolled, bullied and slandered publicly. It must have been pretty bittersweet, right? You've just found the love of your life and are meant to be in one of the happiest parts of your life. But as you say, you're also really desperately depressed because you've got all this intense focus on you. What was that sort of balance like?
2: There's no balance because as humans, I feel like we tend to always not favor but if someone says something nice to us it just passes by without us even realizing that they've said something nice sometimes it's even hard for us to take a compliment but if someone says something nasty to you you will remember it forever and ever like if a boy in primary school said you had fat knees or something I swear you'll be a grown woman and you will never forget it so we just tend to always hear the negative more so than the positive and There were positive comments, but there were a lot of negative comments and you can't help them. Like you are catapulted into the limelight. You are catapulted into like this whole social media world. Before I went on maths, I would post on social media like maybe once every three months, maybe once a month if I was lucky. I never was on social media. I didn't care about it. But then all of a sudden, God, it's just like you're inundated, like no one and nothing can prepare you for it. And there was no balance. It was just the bad. It was just the negative was outweighing anything positive. But then, you know, days go on and on and you get up, you live your life. It was hard because I didn't get to go back to work, which I really wanted to, and I didn't get to. It was too hard. And eventually you know you get up one day the next and you just start making yourself feel better and I mean I had Michael and then I have like the most amazing support network at home so I mean I eventually found my way and I felt better and I was back to feeling like myself again well not actually like myself again because I don't actually think I'll ever be as happy as I was as carefree as I was I have a lot of responsibilities now But I guess you just, you do find that balance eventually or a new balance. Hmm.
0: Martha, I'm not at all insinuating that you ever got to this point, but we know that there is an issue with reality TV contestants becoming desperately depressed after they leave reality TV and when they're dealing with trolling. And unfortunately, we've also seen people push to the absolute brink where they take their lives. Was that ever a concern for you for your fellow contestants? Like watching just how serious this can be, particularly with shows like Love Island and like where people can really be pushed to breaking point?
2: I mean, I don't want to talk on anyone else and how they felt or feel, but I personally was worried about some of my castmates. Yeah, I'm not going to say who because. You know, there's been so much shit that's been said between us all. And I kind of just feel like after that reunion, I said, I'd never really talk about maths anymore. I'm never going to name names. But absolutely, there were people that I was really, really worried about. And I still am, to be honest, because I feel like it's rare for someone to be super resilient, like I am, but I have had a lifetime of sort of preparing for this. In a weird way, I have. I've always sort of copped shit and I feel like now I just do it on a larger scale. But I think for some people it wasn't like that for them growing up and I think then they've been dealt now the the trolling thing and the media and the press and all these articles that have been written in with such a nasty tone and to only really instigate hate. That's the only reason that some of these articles are written. And I feel like they would be suffering so bad. And plus, they're probably alone. I'm always around people. Like, I always have my network, my people, my mom, my boyfriend, my best friends, my sister. And I just feel like some of these people don't have that. And I feel like, you know, sure, the network and the production crew have like a psychologist that you can talk to. But. You never trust anyone. You're so hypervigilant. You don't trust anyone. You think everyone's out to get you. So it's really hard for the contestants to sort of unpack and deal with what they're going through because they don't
1: trust anyone. In those really dark days, did any part of you regret going on the show?
2: Oh, every day I regretted. I was like, why did I do this? What did I do? Like, I was so happy. I had such a good life. What was I thinking? It's my own fault. Yeah, all the time. I mean, now I don't feel that way at all. But hindsight is a
0: beautiful thing. (laughs) What about regretting certain incidents on the show? I mean, most infamous moment from you would be the wine throwing incident at the dinner party. And you did say on the reunion that you feel like the show has helped you grow so much as a person and helped you kind of like, I guess, to use a metaphor, like caterpillar into a butterfly kind of thing, like made you stronger, made you more resilient, but also made you probably a little more mature, I think you said on the show as well. How do you feel with that process of growing in front of the public? I mean, look, the wine pour,
2: I absolutely regret that. But the funny thing about that is I would never, ever do that in my real life. (laughs) Like my real life quotation, I wouldn't. But when you are filming a TV show, and I literally said this the other day, I, I had this realization the other day when I was watching the reunion and I'm like, I felt like going into the reunion, I was a different person because earlier that day, Michael and I were just chilling in our apartment. We went to the beach. We did our normal thing. We had our normal day. And then we went and filmed the reunion coming out of our normal lives. When you are filming in the experiment, you do have this on-screen persona That once you've started it, you can't stop it, even if you don't fucking like it. It's too late. You're in too deep now. As soon as the cameras are on, you're acting like this person and you don't even know who it is, but you're doing it. And obviously production has something to do with it. Not that they feed you lines or tell you what to do or say, but they do kind of, they're so clever. These producers are so fucking smart. And before you know it, you're just acting like someone that you're not. And then before you know it, the whole country is watching you do it. <laughs> and then, yeah, absolutely I regret it. I mean, you know what? I, I just finished filming Celebrity Apprentice and I said to myself going in there, I will not be, no matter what happens, I'm not gonna be like seduced by the producers and I'm not going to be controlled or manipulated by them. Day one, day fucking one. <laughs> Day one, I am there instigating the shit like.
1: <laughs> oh, my gosh. I can't wait to watch that now. <laughs> Day one,
2: I, I was doing it again and I literally like was like, I'm done. That's it. It's over for me. I'm just going to. That's it.
0: One thing we adore about you, which is really rare in the industry, I think anyway, is that you're also someone who's very honest and very open. Like if you get, for example, lip filler, you will tell your audience and there will be no kind of hiding it. Like you are just so candid and open with your followers. Why did you make that decision? Is that just who you are? Or did you think, no, it's fair to my audience to tell them about what I'm doing? Okay,
2: this is something I hate people who fucking hide it. I hate it with a passion. I've worked in an industry like as a makeup artist with women for like over 10 years. So I've always been surrounded by women. I'm a girl's girl. And I would have girls come in and they would – you could see how insecure they are and like they're so desperate. They'll do anything, pay anything. And they would show me like an Instagram photo of someone and be like, I want to look like this. I'll be like, oh, yeah, that's completely photoshopped. And she's had about $15,000 worth of fillers and Botox to look like that. So, I mean, I'm sure we can give you a bronze smoky eye today, but this is not real. This is not fucking real. This is not how this person looks. And so I just feel like I personally am the first person to say I've had shit done. I did not look like this. I've had things done. If I don't like something about myself, I change it. But I feel like I hate people who don't share the, the secrets. Even, for instance, like, you know, some women who, like, say they've got a really, really good mascara and it's so good but they don't want to tell anyone? It blows my fucking mind that women can be like that. Like, Those women suck. They suck. <laughs> yeah, they're they, the they worst. they suck. <laughs> like, I've always been, like, the first person, if I think something's good, I want to share it with others. But I feel like I do still know and see a lot of people who, if something's good, they want to keep it a secret. Because they want to be the only ones like privy to this awesome product. That's not me. I'll never be like that. I have never been like that. But also I think because I've worked so closely with women for so long and I see how sensitive and vulnerable and insecure they can be. And I feel like if getting fillers will make you feel better in your lips, just fucking do it then. Who are you trying to like hide it from or impress? Or why are you better than me? Because you haven't had surgery. Like
1: why? You're a pretty big name now, Martha, like pretty huge. You are followed a lot by paparazzi. You are covered on the Daily Mail. I think a ridiculous amount. The last article I saw was pretty random about (laughs) you. What is it actually like feeling like you are being followed around and watched too so that people can create news articles and content around you?
2: I'm really glad you asked this because I think a lot of reality TV stars actually Make a deal with PAPS and with journalists so they can be written about and they do sell their photos. I hate being papped more than anything. Michael and I live in North Bondi. Our rent is astronomical. We live here because it's close to the beach. And do you want to know how many times I've actually swam in the beach because there are PAPS there? Very, very limited amount of times. And it is so annoying because even Michael. He knows how much I hate being photographed when I don't know I'm being photographed. Could you believe people hate that? I hate it so much and it makes cause they always sell the ugliest photos. Like they won't sell a photo where I look like half decent. They'll sell the ugliest photo in and it is the worst feeling. You cannot just even go out to the store and like I mean I live in Bondi, I I barely ever wear clothes or jeans or shoes. I'm always in a t shirt with no shoes on and That's how I am most of my day. Like I'm just chilling and you can't do that. You have to always look good. You always have to be thinking like sitting in a way like that you're posing almost. And it's the worst feeling ever because, you know, I just want to be sitting like a slob on the beach no makeup on you know wet and sandy just living my life and Mm. you can't I don't know why I still care about if they get shots of me and if they write about it I actually don't know why I care but I fucking do because I'm actually just a real person Mm. that you know if I do read the comments or see something I will hate it and I will hate myself for for a few days
0: We did really want to talk to you about this because we're in the industry, we can tell what is a set up pap shot and what's not. And it's very, very clear the photos of you are not set up. And that's why we find it so interesting because as you said, it's such common practice for so many reality stars to kind of get their name out there. But you are a huge name and they do pursue you. For those who might not know what it's actually like, what are the kinds of people who are paparazzo or are paparazzi in Sydney? Like, is it young men? Is it older men? Do they call out to you? Do they say anything or do these shots get taken without you having any idea that someone's following you
2: sometimes the good ones will get them and you don't even know that they're following but eventually you you'll hear the camera because they they get a few shots and then they want more they want to get closer I am like so hyper vigilant I can hear the shutter speed of the camera from like a mile away now and I know and you just have this feeling like oh my god I feel like I'm being watched And surprise, surprise, you are. But it's always grown men, older men. And, I mean, there is one or two younger guys. They're not too bad. But the older men, they're just, oh, they're just, it's it's so weird. It's just weird. Uh, The other day, Michael and I were on the beach. We went for a swim. We never post when we're actually there. We always will post after. So we went for a swim, we did some work, and then my girlfriend called me. She goes, Hey babe, me and Mon were just at the shop. Do you wanna come and have lunch with us? I go, Oh yeah, we'll come now because we hadn't eaten. So I just had it my bikinis on, I put Michael's t shirt on, no shoes, just went down to the shop to have lunch. It was my girlfriend's birthday. And she's like, oh, I bought a packet of ciggies. John, can you have a ciggy with me? It's my birthday. I'm like, all right, I'll have a coffee and a ciggy. Like, I don't, I don't mind having a sneaky ciggy when I'm blind drunk, but not like in the <laughs> middle of the day. She's <laughs> like, oh, I really want one. Can you come sit down and have one with me? I'm like, yeah, all right, fine. I don't mind having a cheeky cigarette with a coffee, also sometimes. So we're just sitting on these crates, like in this alleyway in Bondi on this side street, and. Anyway, we had a C, we butted it out and I said to her, don't butt them on the floor. Number one, because don't litter Bondi, it's so beautiful. And number two, if I'm being watched and that happens, I will literally be crucified. So I was like running around looking for a bin to put them in. And then I said to her, I don't know, I just for some reason, I just said something like, oh, fuck, I go, imagine I actually get fucking papped smoking on a crate in an alley with no pants on, no shoes on, and I look like a swamp dumpster rat monster. And, yeah, I was. I was photographed and they made this article and people wrote shit and I read it and that was just like it spiraled into a week of self-loathing. Nobody wants that. Nobody who that happens to wants it. Unless they're actually organising it and then they want it, well then I don't know who those people are.
1: Mother, it's interesting because as you're saying now, like there's so much pressure being in the public eye in the way that you are. And I imagine that pressure does extend to your relationship too. Like relationships are hard enough when people aren't watching on and are really invested in your love story. What is it like to have people invested in the love that you and Michael share?
2: I mean, we do share a lot of our relationships, so we're happy to put it out there. But just sometimes like when they do, they're like, when are you going to really propose? When are you going to have babies? We get asked that like 15 times a day. Like now I almost don't want to do it just despite everyone. Like, nah, sorry, shop, shop. We're done. We're not doing it. Nah, (laughs) we're not, we're not going to. Sorry. Uh, Like, sorry guys, (laughs) hate to burst your bubble, but that's the only thing. Otherwise I'm happy to share, man. I'll share my whole life with people. Like I'm happy to always put it out there, but Yeah, I don't know. The relationship, it's so solid that it doesn't really matter. People can say what they want. Like we know how we feel. It's funny, like we'll read an article about us cheating on each other while we're like lying in bed together, like talking about how much we love each other. Like It's just funny. And we know how fake the industry is. If I can say one thing, I promise you, whatever you have read on the Daily Mail or like who or whatever it is, there is not even an ounce of truth in any of it. Like not even one bit of truth. Apart from my name is Martha and I'm 32. Apart from that.
1: <laughs> but like often they, they get the age wrong anyway. Like they never yeah. quite get that right Or the spelling anyway. of they the do. name. Yeah. <laughs> name spelling is not the Daily Mail strong suit. <laughs> I was 30 for two years, which I can't complain about. I just never grow old. <laughs> you never get older. <laughs> Martha, we have a quick hypothetical for you. We want to know... If a group of acquaintances were sitting around a table and they were talking about you, how would you want them to describe you? Oh, she's funny. She's nice. She's got great skin.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'd be happy with those ones. That's a really
0: good question. Our final question for you is what we ask every In Conversation guest, and that is how do you define success? I think success is when you have a healthy balance between
2: work and pleasure and your life like I was literally having this conversation with Michael this morning one day the tables are going to turn and I'm going to have balance when I'm truly successful I will have balance and I'll be working and making money and also be fit and healthy and have a healthy life but for now I have an unhealthy life but I'm working really hard and making some money, so <laughs> I think I would say
1: success is when you have found that balance. That is a wonderful answer, Martha. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. You are such a delight. I've just had a really good time, to be totally honest. Oh, with the you. It's best been such time. Such a pleasure. <laughs>
2: Thanks guys. Thanks for um taking me back to my childhood which I had buried that for a few years
1: <laughs> yeah, in dark I tend dark. To do that a dark <laughs> in a
2: dark fucking place in my mind and now all of a sudden I'm back there. I'm back in, in like grade one at Scott School in Aubrey wodonga with my <laughs> fringe, with my curly fringe that started from the back of my head and it hit like oh, the
0: top my of my gosh. nose. Well Mom, I mean, you can invoice us maybe. for your psychologist bill. If you didn't to go to psych, <laughs> just invoice us. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, girls. This was so fun.
1: Thank you so much for listening to this In Conversation episode of Shameless with Martha Califatitas. If you loved this episode, go follow Martha on Instagram if you aren't already, at martha underscore k but that's with two a's and two underscores so off you go <laughs> if this is your first you're not meant to pop up in these oh, outros
0: sorry. i'm
1: here just in the background guys <laughs> if this is your first time listening to shameless we are a celebrity and pop culture podcast and we interview influential people every week including love islands taylor Demia, the bachelors abby chatfield and so many more If you would like to check out those episodes, either just scroll back through our feed and click on whoever's name grabs you or visit our website, shamelessthepodcast.com, where you can search our entire back catalogue. To support our show, please click the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review or click follow on Spotify. That is all from us, guys. We hope this was a fun way to kick off your week no matter where you are in the world. We will chat to you on Thursday. Bye. Bye. Still not allowed to do that.